If I was to ask you tonight to show me or for you to put together a prayer request list, what would be on your request list? What is on your prayer request list? Do you have one? Amen? As Christians, we need to have a list of things that we're praying for. We're called to be people of prayer. We're called to be people of supplication. We're called to be people of, of praying for others. And so there's got to be some things that you're praying for. So what would those things be? We are, as Christians, we're, we're people of prayer. Amen? We're, we're to be people of prayer because that's how we communicate with God. That's how we conduct our relationship with Jesus Christ. So there are things that if you're a person of prayer, if you're walking with Christ in your life, there are things that are on your list and they're daily on your list. Amen? We pray on a daily basis and you probably, your, your daily list probably looks something like this. We pray for our family. Amen? We pray for provision, continued provision. You know, when that provision comes in and we give thanks and we say, thank you, Jesus, and just keep it coming. Keep it coming, Lord. Keep it coming, because we're going to need that. We're going to need that. We pray for healing. We pray for God to intervene in some way into our circumstances. And let me tell you tonight that all of these are great prayers, and that you should continue to pray for those things daily in your life. These are all great prayers. But as we come to our passage tonight, our passage of scripture that we're going to look at tonight, which is literally the close of chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul has a prayer for the believers, for the Christians. So this little section here is, is literally Paul's prayer for believers. And as, as we look at it tonight, I want to submit this to you, that there are those things I think that are regularly a part of the prayer list that we go to the Lord and those things are regularly there. But hopefully as we're growing in Christ, our prayer list is expanding. Hopefully as we're growing in Christ, that we're, there's some deeper things that we're praying for God for. And so Paul, I believe in his prayer, shows us some of those things, I think, that also need to be a part of the prayer list. And they're certainly a part of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and I believe, in that sense, they're great, they're great items for prayer for all Christians. Amen? So what is God's desire that we see in this prayer that we're going to look at in Ephesians 3? We will see how we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Amen? This is a big need that every single one of us has on a daily basis, and just when you thought you were strong, something happens. Somebody says something to you, something happens in the family, something happens at work, something happens and upsets the apple cart. And we need to be strengthened in the inner man day by day. Amen? Amen. We need to be indwelt by Jesus Christ. We need to be filled with the fullness of God. So let's take a look at Paul's prayer tonight. First, if you're taking notes, Paul's prayer for you is that you would be strengthened in your inner man. Let's look at it. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, pick it up, verse 14. It says this, for this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Let's stop right there. How do we find the strength that we need to live our lives in Christ? And trust me, we need strength. You need strength to live your life in Christ. You can go out and try to live it in your own strength, and you may get down the road a little bit, but there's, like I said, there are those things that are going to come up. There are those things that are going to happen. And when those things do, you are going to realize, you are going to know that you need strength, you need power, you need the power of God in your life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul prays for, for the life of the believer, for the Ephesian believers in this particular passage. Paul's prayer is that they would be strengthened, and so he, he, he bows his knee in prayer. Look at that, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at it, there are a couple of different postures of prayer. There is standing in prayer, right? You can stand in prayer. And then there's bowing on your knee in prayer. And then there's literally like face down prayer. That's called being prostrate before the Lord. Amen. You find those instances in the scriptures. And so these are all three, uh, those postures of prayer. And, and they're all very good. And so Paul finds himself bowed on his knee. And when we bow on our knee in prayer in that posture, I think it reminds us of a great posture of prayer, which is not only bowing the physical knee, but it's literally a humbling of ourselves before God. It's an acknowledgement of who he is, of his place in our lives, and that we're bowing, we're humbling ourselves before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we know where, uh, where the good things that come into our life are, come from. And so we bow on our knees before the Lord. And and so we seek the power of God in our life. We seek the power of God. Why is it that, why, why do we need the power of God? Hey, when you're out there trying to walk for, for the Lord, trying to run for the Lord, trying to run the race that's been set before you, you're going to need strength. You are going to need strength. And that's why even in Isaiah, it is said they will, they will walk and not faint. They will run and not grow weary. Why? Because they're going to mount up with wings as eagles. We're going, to be, we're going to be carried on eagles' wings. We're going to have a power source. We're going to have a power from a different location. It's not from ourselves. It is from God, and we need that. And that's why Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, he said, stay here in Jerusalem. Because you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so he wanted them to wait in Jerusalem so that they could receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you say, I'm saved and filled with the Spirit. I'm a Spirit-filled believer. That's great. But in the, even in this book that we're looking at tonight, we're not looking at the whole book, just chapter 3, the last section. Amen? But in a couple more chapters, in chapter 5, Paul is going to tell this same church, he's going to tell them to be being filled with the Spirit. What's that? That we need to be in a place where we're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, that there's an active uh, aspect of being filled with the Spirit in our lives. And why is that? Well, people have asked this question, why we need to be being filled? Why isn't the just that first filling, why isn't that good enough? And this question has been asked. And I think the best answer that I've ever come across, someone, I don't know who said this, but they just simply said, because we leak. (laughs) We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul prayed on his knees and he humbled himself before God. And he prayed. What did he pray for? He prayed for strength. He prayed for power. He prays for strength for the inner man, for the inner man. We so desperately need, we need strength for the inner man. Amen. Because we can go around and we can put on a, um, a outward appearance of strength. We can, you know, we can buck up and pull up our bootstraps and all, all, all that type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We can even flex and, and, and try to show some strength. But you know what? We know and the Lord knows where we are down deep inside, where the inner man is, and we need to be strengthened in the inner man. Amen? There's a lot that goes on inside of us. We think of all the things that we take care of on the outside. We get up and run around and, you know, work. We do chores. Just this afternoon, I was on Twitter, and I, one of the people I follow on Twitter, they said, What's, what is the chore that you hate the most? Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> well, it's a kind of a rhetorical question, but thank you. Um, what is the, the, the chore that you hate the most? And this particular person said, I hate going to the grocery store. I hate picking out all the groceries and, and then, you know, fighting through all that and getting them home and carrying them inside and whatever. And I wanted to tweet him, but I, sh- I said, well, somebody will tweet him and let him know, well, there's an app that you can go on and you can order it all and pull up in your car and pick it up, right? Amen. Yeah, but you still have to carry it inside, amen? You still have to do that thing where you're going to make it in in the least amount of trips and you're going to like rip six fingers off in the process, but you're going to do it and you're going to get that stuff in there. But we, we got all this stuff that we're doing on the outside. We got all this stuff that we're doing on the outside, but there's a, lot, there's a lot that goes on on the inside. This is where we deal with conflict. This is where we deal with our emotions. This is where we deal with thinking. With, with, you know, 
and, 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 and ideas. And this is where we give place to either things that aren't true in our minds or we, we take that captive and make it obedient to Christ and, and, and give place to those things that are true. And, and because of all that, because of all that that takes place in the inner man, in the inside, we need strength in the inner man. The Bible talks a lot about our inside, the inside of us. Jesus told the Pharisees that it was out of the heart that proceed evil thoughts and evil deeds. And so we need to be strengthened in our inner man if we're going to be strengthened and built up to walk the walk, to run the race, but also to fight the fight. Amen. We need to be strengthened in the inner man so that we can fight the fight. And our, our walk with God cannot be a, only an intellectual pursuit. Paul says here, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. And we have got to be, we've got to have knowledge of God. We've got to have that knowledge of the word, but we need, we need that intimacy in the inner man and that strength in the inner man so that we can walk with God. We've got to know God and we've got to pursue God. And knowing God in the Bible, especially in the New, the, the New Testament, is the idea of having a... It, it, it's, the, the Greek word is actually the word gnosko, and, it, it, and, it's, and its Hebrew partner is, is the word yada. And it's the, it's the idea of knowing like intimately. It's knowing by experience. It's not only knowing uh, just because you kind of know it. You know, you're, you're a brainiac, and I know that I know the answer. You know, you're, you're, you're Arnold Horshack when it comes to the things of God. But, you know, and that's great. And, 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 and you know, for those of us that like to think things through, we, we kind of can fall into like, you know, yeah, I just want to know stuff and I want to know stuff and I want to know stuff. But God wants us to know him. He wants us to have that relationship. And that's where it happens on the inside. And that's where we need the strength on the inside, on the inner man. And one of the things that's been said, they say the longest road is only 18 inches. It's the road from your head to your heart and getting, the, getting what you know in here where you know it down in here and you're strengthened down in here. And I can know and I can know, well, Jesus is going to give me strength and Jesus is going to give me power and Jesus is going to help me walk the walk, but I got to know him down here. I got to know him in my inner man. I got to be strengthened on the inside. Amen? The word for strength here, where he says strengthened in the inner man, is the opposite of discouraged. It's the idea of being, like, can you think of the opposite of discouraged? Well, think of discouraged and think of being like the opposite of that. You know, when you get discouraged, and if you're anything like me, I mean, my goodness, I get discouraged. I can let everyone know that I'm discouraged without saying a word, you know? What's wrong with you? Uh, fine. You know, no, I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged. But God wants us to be the opposite of discouraged. He wants us to be so full of hope, so full of the power of God, so strengthened on the inner man that 
We're living our lives for him. Paul put it this way to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. I'll put it up on the screen. He said this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What's this? We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Christian, there are so many different things that we could lose heart about. We could lose heart. And Paul points out one of those, the outward, the outward man is wasting away. You can lose heart when you start focusing on, you know, hey, you're getting old. You're not getting any younger out there. I was just talking before the service, we were talking about, I said, I don't know why this even came up, but I said something to brother here. I said, you know, Clint Eastwood is still out there directing movies. And I said, I think he's 90. And he said, no, 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 he's not 90. Look it up, ask Siri. Sure enough, he's 89. He's 89 years old. So, you know, hey, <laughs> we might not have the Clint Eastwood, you know, 89 and still out there walking around and, and uh, directing movies and stuff. We might not have that going for us, although we pray, we pray. The outward man is wasting away, but Paul says we don't lose heart because the inward man is being renewed day by day. Amen? The inward man is being renewed. Now, I want to just take you to a passage of Scripture. If you want to, keep your finger there in Ephesians 3 and go over to Psalm 84. Go over to Psalm 84 and uh, verse 5. And this is one of my favorite psalms. I mean, there's some great psalms. There's some great, great, great psalms. But Psalm 84 is like, it's probably like in my top five um, because it's such a great psalm. It's a psalm of the worship. It's a psalm about the worshiper of God. It's a psalm about the Christian life being on pilgrimage to worship God. And this is what the, the writer says in Psalm 84, beginning at verse five. He says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And go through this whole passage, uh, this whole psalm, and it's a great study. But just to take a look at this, Paul, uh, the, the writer of the psalm here is saying, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed is the, is the person, happy is the person who's, who has strength from God, whose strength is in God. I mean, my goodness, to just go through life and to go through and, and just to say, I got it, I got this, I got this, and to stare death in the face and just without fear, without just kind of even batting an eye, I, 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 I kind of don't think it happens. I mean, there are these famous atheists that say, I want a video camera of me on my deathbed because I don't want anyone to think that I had a deathbed conversion. <laughs> you heard these type of guys? You know, I think Chris, Christopher Hitchens was one of these guys. Was, at, at the time when he was living, he, he was my favorite atheist because I just, he, he's just, he was, a, he was a man that you could, you could listen. He was a good speaker, but he just, just, did not want there to be a God. And, but hey, there is a God and he wants to give you strength for this life, amen? And so happy is the man whose strength is in you, 
whose strength is in God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What's that? Whose, whose heart is set on the path, who's, who's committed themselves to the path of worshiping God. That's what we're on. And Peter picks up this theme in, in his epistles where we're, we're pilgrims, right? So we had to bring up pilgrims, you know, on, on uh, th- Thanksgiving weekend. So, so, so we just, you know, the Holy Spirit wanted to weave that in there. And the, the pilgrim, what, what, why were the pilgrims who came over to uh, Plymouth, why were they pilgrims? Because they were on a journey to worship right? They were on a journey to find religious freedom, to to worship God. And that's what we are. Peter says that we're pilgrims. We're going through this life. We're we're going through and we're going, and this passage here says that we're on our way to Zion, that we're on our way to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. But along the way, you can come up against some difficult situations. He said, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca was the valley of weeping. It was a desolate place. It was the valley of weeping, perhaps a, a valley of desolation, a valley where it's like, hey, this is tough. This is a tough journey. I mean, I, I, I got to stop. I got to pull over. Is there a rest area? Yeah, there's a rest area coming up. What, which one is it? Oh, the Valley of Baca. Oh, we have a good cry. We'll have a good cry. But rather than crying in the Valley of Baca, it says the, the pilgrim make it a spring. In other words, they dig a well and, 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 and have the, the, the water coming up from, from, from abundance, from the, from the deep. And so instead of just you know, we can, we can um, just kind of, we're good at having pity parties. I mean, I don't know, you know, we can have a pity party. And there's times when we feel like, you know, well, I'm going to have a pity party because, you know, it, it's going to make me feel better, you know? And I don't even care if anybody, you know, I'm just going to have a pity party. The believer, the pilgrim, the worshiper, he doesn't have a pity party. He digs a spring. He digs a well. And the rain also covers it with pools. Amen? And so there's the the blessing of God that can be found even in the depths of the valley, even in the valley of weeping, even in the valley of desolation. So if you're, wherever you are, maybe you're not in the valley of Baca. Thank you, Jesus, you're not there. But, you know, it may come. It may come. And you remember that, that when you get there, when you get there, you have a choice. You have a choice to, to, to have a pity party, to kind of boo-hoo. And you know what? I'm not discounting. No one's discounting the hardness of going through a valley like that. It, it can be hard. And sometimes tears are warranted. Sometimes things, there's tough things. There's tough things that, you know, and I look, you know, I just read the news. I look at some of the stuff that people go through, and I go, I go through, you know, we, we all go through stuff, Right? Everybody thinks like, you know, every, you know, no one's got it as bad as me, right? But however, whatever valley you find yourself in, you know, you can have that emotional moment, but make the choice to, to dig a spring. Make a choice to receive the rains, a blessing from the Lord. Amen? Amen. And then verse 7, it says, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So the believer goes from strength to strength, amen? Mm. 
we're not going from strength to weakness to strength to weakness to strength to weak. No, the calling of the believer is to go from strength to strength to strength as we're on pilgrimage, worshiping God. And we're going to appear before God in Zion. Amen? We're going to be with the Lord. And we appear before him as we have tonight, as we will tomorrow as we get out there and worship him tomorrow, as we get out there on Monday and we're worshiping him. How's that? With whatever we're doing. Because Paul said it this way, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Amen? Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And I used to say this, if you can't do it for the glory of God, then don't do it. Amen? Whatever it is, if you can't do it for the glory of God, then don't do it. So the believer, the worshiper of God, goes from strength to strength. So we find that strength in the inner man. But Paul goes on, he says, be, be indwelt. He wants the Christians to be indwelt by Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the text, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So we need to be, Paul's prayer is that we be strengthened in the inner man, but also that we be indwelt by Jesus Christ. Paul prays that Jesus Christ would indwell the Ephesian believers, and and our prayer is that you be indwelt by Jesus Christ. And the Lord's prayer and the apostles' prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm certain, would be that you be indwelt by Jesus Christ. The word for dwell means to settle down, to take up residence. Christ comes into your heart at conversion, and he takes up residence in your heart. You say, well, now there are people, that I've come across some videos, some pastors that don't like that. They don't like this idea of, you know, you shouldn't ask Jesus into your heart. I think it ends up being a semantical thing, but I've come across several passages of Scripture in the New Testament that talk about being indwelt by Christ, that that Jesus takes up residence inside me. Paul said it this way. I think it was in the Galatians. He said that he has put the Spirit of the Son inside of you, that by that you cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. So it sounds like to me that when... We come to Christ that there's an indwelling of the Spirit of Christ within us. Amen? And so we need to be indwelt by Christ, that, that, that he takes up residence, that he takes up residence in our heart, and that his residence in our heart begins to affect us, begins to take uh, such a root in our lives that... that, that um, that you know that there's some type of a, I don't know, it's a spiritual thing. When Jesus comes to take up residence in your life, that there's some stuff happening, yeah. that there's some stuff happening to your character, right. that there's some changes going on, and and this is what the Lord's desire is, and that the Lord, as He is dwelling in you, that He is at home in you. Amen. That he's at the very center of our lives that that they then we become 
rooted and grounded in love. What's the effect of being indwelt by, the, by Jesus Christ? It is being rooted and grounded in love because God is love and Jesus is the son of God and he came to give himself on the cross to demonstrate to us what love is in the first place. And so if we're gonna be dwelt uh, with, and dwelt with Christ, we're gonna have, we're gonna be grounded, we're gonna be rooted and grounded in love. John put it this way in the first chapter. He said, we beheld him as the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's that? Full of, of grace and truth is kind of a way of saying perfect love. <laughs> Amen? Because it's grace to understand us, and it's the truth to not keep us where we are in our pitied situation. It's the grace to accept us where we are, but it's the truth to dig us up and pick us up out of the miry pit, amen, and put our feet up on a rock. And so you can't have God's kind of love without grace, and you can't have it without truth. You have to have both, amen? And if we're going to be indwelt by this, by, uh, uh, through the Spirit in, uh, by Christ, we're going to be rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded. And you say rooted and grounded, those are words that you're in, immediately your mind goes to trees, right? You think of rooted and grounded, you think of a tree being rooted and grounded. You think of planting a tree. You think of planting a tree, and, and when you, you, know, you go up to where, the, you know, go up to the nursery and you buy the little tree with the, you know, the little root ball, right? And you put it in the ground, and hopefully as you water that thing, and, and over a little bit of time, you know, it kind of makes its home in that ground. It's grounded. And then it's rooted. The roots kind of begin to take hold. Take hold. So that we have, we have strong roots of the love of God in our lives. That we're grounded in the love of God. I remember when we lived in Orlando back in 04, and we had... Was it 04? Yeah, 04, when we, we had three hurricanes in six weeks. You guys had them over here too. We had three hurricanes in six weeks. Everyone got apocalyptic. It was like, turn to the book of Revelation, this is the end. You know, Seri I'm serious, that's how it felt. And I remember when Charlie came through and that thing ripped through and it was 110 mile an hour winds over our house, Cat 2 in Hunter's Creek. And, man, you talk about the, the trees that got ripped up. I mean, those live oaks, those were just like umbrellas just getting ripped up out of the ground all over Orlando. And it was a mess for just a long, long time. But God wants us to be rooted and grounded in the love of God so that we, we can't be moved, so that we're rooted and grounded in such a way that, that we're, we have a guard against deception that's going to come in. We have a guard in our life against uh, bitterness uh, because if we're rooted and grounded in love, there's another root that's going to try to come in. It's a root of bitterness. And if you're rooted and grounded in love in such a way, I think that like, you know, that, that root of bitterness comes in and, and, and the, the roots of love that are growing in your life just kind of, you know, it's there, it's there, and that bitterness, and they're, oh, okay, we're going to strangle that thing right on out of there, Right? you can give place to bitterness. 
you can give place to bitterness and see your attitude and your mind and your life just kind of spiral out of control. But we need to be rooted and grounded in love. That we may be able to comprehend what is the love of God. What is the love of God, right? Look at what Paul, sa- uh, what Paul says. That we may be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passage, passes knowledge. When you think of the love of God, when you think of the love of Christ specifically, you think of, okay, so if I said, you know, there is a verse of scripture, I believe it's in John's epistle, it says God is love. God is love. And you think about that for a second and you think, okay, God is love. Hmm. Wow. He, and now he is love. He isn't just lovely or loving. He is love. But, Paul, but God just isn't love. We have a God who demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrates it. Paul put it this way to the Romans, God demonstrated his love for you, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John put it this way in his epistle, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And John put it this way in his gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? So when you think about the love of God, you think about the love of Christ, you think about the demonstration, the perfect demonstration of that love, which is the cross of Christ, right? So what I want to do, I, there's, there's an interesting thing here because if you look at this verse here, he says, verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So there seems to be, so, so, so there's width, length, depth, and height. There's like four different directions there. And you, you think of a two-dimensional world, you think of like a, a sheet of paper, and then you add this, and you, so we, we live, there's a, there's a three, third dimension. So you have the length, you have the height, you have the depth. And, and, but, but here, there's a fourth one. So Paul seems to add not only a, a three-dimensional aspect of the love of God, but a, a love of Christ in four dimensions. And there's an interesting thing, and I've, I've shown this before, but I, want, I thought it would be interesting to bring this out again. Um, uh, Salvador uh, Dali actually did a, uh, a depiction of the cross, and it is... It, it's, it's the cross, it's the love of God in, it, it kind of in four dimensions because it's, um, it's the unraveling of, the, of a four-dimensional cube and the unraveling of a four-dimensional cube is, is actually a cross. And what Salvador Dali did is he did this in a piece of art and he put Christ on this four-dimensional cross. And so the name of the piece is called Corpus Christi. So not the city in Texas, but the literal Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, right? 
And so do, do we have that up there? Go ahead and th throw that up there. This is, this is the piece. So you literally have this four-dimensional cube, which is actually a cross. And so you have the, the, the length and width and height and the, and the fourth dimension, which uh, would be the, 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 the length into eternity, the, the time dimension, right? So, so it's, 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 a, it's a perfect love. It's a four-dimensional love. And so we're being rooted and grounded into something that is, is just, it's, it's an incredible love. <laughs> I mean, even to try to describe it and throw up Salvador Dali and, you know, Corpus Christi and all this, and I'm sitting here kind of fumbling going, okay, how am I even getting across the love of God? Because he even says it here, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Right? So, okay, it passes knowledge, but go ahead and get up there and teach it. <laughs> what I think of it in this way is that this is a love of another kind. This is not a love of that, that, that the world is familiar with. This is not a love when, when uh, the world sings songs like Love Bites and stuff like this. No, this is not that type of love. This is a type of love that is literally only perfectly seen on the cross of Christ. Yeah. Amen? And so in that sense, the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And then he goes on, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Um, which suggests to me that there's a level of this thing, there's a level of this love, there's a level of God that I'm not going to figure out. Although I love figuring stuff out, right? I love connecting dots and I love digging and finding stuff and oh, this is cool and that's cool and this is cool. But this thing it passes the knowledge, it passes our ability to know, to fully know it, but we can know it in the sense of we have that intimacy with Christ and that we're, we're ultimately filled with the fullness of God. And so we can be filled with the fullness of God even though we don't have perhaps the capacity to fully grasp the love of God and what it is and, 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 and what he's done for us. I think we sit here and we we try to, we try to, you know, I understand and I understand and I understand. And I always have to remind myself, I do have to remind myself, we're going to stand in awe and amazement when we look, when, 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 when we're shown the whole arc of, of the love of Christ, that, that what he did in this story. And to look and, 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 and just to stand in stunned awe and amazement of, of what he's done. So, but we can be filled with the fullness of God. The fullness of God, the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul put it this way to the Colossians. He said in Colossians 2, he says, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in him. And so when we, fill, when we receive Christ, we receive the fullness of God. We're filled with the fullness of God. Amen? And he brings, 
if we, if we allow it, if we, if we receive him, he brings the fullness of who he is. And that's the fullness of his love. That's the fullness of this, this four-dimensional love that he has for us. Amen? Paul finishes the prayer by telling us, look at it, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask and think. Now this is, this is an amazing verse. Amen? This is an amazing verse. God can do everything in your life that you have on your prayer list. Your daily list. God can bless your family. God can provide. God can heal you. God can do this. God can lead you. God can give you wisdom. God can do everything on this prayer list. He can strengthen your inner man. He, you can be indwelt by him. You can be rooted and grounded in love. You can have the fullness of Christ. He can do more than what's on your list because he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask and think. Amen? Paul says God is able to do above all that we ask and think. Now the apostles, Paul spent time with the apostles, the other disciples. Now we don't know, we know Paul was aware of who Jesus was before his conversion, and he certainly was there holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen and all that, and then, of course, he had his conversion. But he did spend time with the apostles in the church of Jerusalem, and I'm sure that they rehearsed to them, rehearsed with him the wonderful works that Christ did. And when you think about the things that Christ did, and you start going through those, I mean, you may have things on your list, but Jesus did some, some things in the presence of these people that were pretty amazing things. Like, I mean, I'd like to see a feeding of 5,000 or 20,000 or however many people it was. I, I'd, I'd like to see healings. I'd like to see water turn to wine. I'd like to see Jesus call Lazarus out of the grave or somebody. Yeah. Amen. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. Now, as we wrap this up, many people do not realize that William Shakespeare, as he wrote his various works, actually coined a lot of words into the English language. I don't know if you've ever tried, have anybody here ever tried to coin a term? I, I actually do on a regular basis. I try to, I, I speak out all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, it's, and it's, and it's, it's, it's not tongues, but it's like, you know, it's like words, you know, ask my family. I come up with all kinds of different words. But, but uh, you know, Shakespeare is a different, in a different category of, of writers, amen, <laughs> right? I mean, a prolific writer, and, and in fact, you know, one of the greats of, the, of, of English lit, right? 
So you can Google this and you can find lists of words that Shakespeare actually, you could say, invented. He, he invented these words into the English language. And just to give you a sample, gloomy, majestic, lonely, radiance, hurry, critical, frugal, rant. Um, I found that interesting that he actually coined the term rant. <laughs> you know, can you think, I mean, Shakespeare was a smart guy. You know, I'll go on a rant. He actually also coined the word laughable. Laughable. And where did he coin these words? Well, he coined them in his writings. And when it came to laughable, I found it interesting to discover that the word comes up in the first act, in the first scene, in The Merchant of Venice. And this is, you know... Anyways, here's the, here's the sentence. <laughs> Though Nestor swear the jest be laughable. <laughs> this is literally the sentence where the word laughable <laughs> is invented, comes into the English language. This is, I guess, you know, laugh it up, laugh it up. <laughs> Now, I want to read to you what Spurgeon says about Paul's use of this phrase exceedingly abundantly. Spurgeon on the phrase exceedingly abundantly, quote, he has constructed here in the Greek an expression which is altogether his own. No language was powerful enough for the apostle. I mean, for the Holy Ghost speaking through the apostle. For very often, Paul has to coin words and phrases to shadow forth his meaning, and here is one. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly, so abundantly that it exceeds measure and description. So Paul literally, like Shakespeare, (laughs) putting these things together, the Holy Spirit at work, telling us that he can do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask and think. You can ask for every good thing you have ever experienced, and God can do above that. Now, I've heard people on prayer, and... I'm not one to get, you know, certainly this isn't like a name it and claim it type of verse, okay? But it does seem to say that God can do exceedingly abundantly all that we think and ask. So it seems to me that we need to do some thinking and we need to do some asking. Amen? And I think we ask too little of God in that sense because God can do exceedingly abundantly above that. Amen? And so whatever whatever we ask, I mean, I'm sure God gets a kick out of it, right? But he can do exceedingly abundantly. So I think we need to stretch our prayer life a little bit. 
I think those things that we have on the daily list are good. Family, friends, the church, provision, job, safety. Well, let's see what else God wants to add to our prayer list. Amen? Certainly the list of things in Paul's prayer, but there's some other things that through the Holy Spirit he wants to drop into your heart. There's some other things that God in, in, in his imagination and yours wants to drop into your heart that you would ask that he would do. Amen? And so let's do that. Let's do that. We need to see God do these things in our life. And so my prayer tonight is that we're literally built up and strengthened in the inner man.